Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the quarantined edition of the Corner Store Podcast. Uh, I hope you are all staying inside and keeping a uh, social distance that is six feet or more from one another. Um, I am not in the building with this uh, incredible woman who I have before me, but I am looking at her and her beautiful living room and all the wonderful art that she makes for the world is behind her, some of it anyway, and uh, a longtime homie, an incredible, one of my favorite artists who is multidisciplinary, someone who has put on uh, for the progressive genre of Afrofuturism for a while now, a, uh, a, a painter, well, a collage artist, a, a visual artist, and a fucking just, just nasty, beautiful, brilliant poet who has a new book in the world out on Haymarket Books and the Breakbeat Poets called Too Much Midnight. Uh, from Dayton, Ohio, but has been in Chicago now for a minute. Krista Franklin is in Hi. the corner store. Krista, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Such a pleasure to see you and to uh, have a chance to talk. I'm excited to talk. Um, I always love talking with you, and I wish I could. Right. Uh, I wish we were in the same building so I could buy me you too. a beverage and give you some snacks. Uh, so once we get out of this, um, you already know it is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be in the mix. Absolutely. So. How are you finding this time now in court? Now, because for me, I you you are very much a um, you know you live a kind of quarantined life in some ways prior <laughs> prior to all this. Yeah. So is this um, yeah is this a shift for you? Are you how are you finding it? How are you finding the time? It's you know what it's funny. It's not that big of a shift. Right. Okay. Um, I'm not going to lie about that. I tend to stay to myself. As you all know, everybody knows, you know, because we've been friends for a minute. Yes. You was one of the first people I met when I moved here. So uh, I recall. Yeah. I know the day. I know it was at, the, the, day. at, at the Guild Complex. Yeah. You, you were, so you already know. You were on, I, you were I, on the I'm old like, clam uh, orange MacBook or some shit like that. Like, yes. I had it all. Yeah, you were fly, I had it all. fly then, I had, fly now. I, I try to, to be fly as hell at all times. It's consistent. That's, that's a running... Yeah, that's been true for decades. And try to mind my own business <laughs> at all times. <laughs> so it's not that big of a shift. I mean, it is in terms of like, you know, the difference, I think, for all of us in varying degrees is like, oh, I can go outside. There are things to do, right? Like if I choose to leave here at any time, I can get up and go to the flyest events of all. You know, because my friends are always producing really wonderful things to see and experience. And then, you know, so there's always something to do. So I miss that. You know what I mean? Like, I miss being able to, you know, leave my crib and connect with our people and have those moments where we're sharing a meal, you know, have those moments where we're just kind of shooting shit, um, you know, bigging each other up, supporting each other, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, I miss that. But as far as like, the condition of being in the crib all the time. No, that's that's my everyday. Yeah. Quarantine or not. Well, so you have a lot of different hustles and, and a lot of different practices. But but now, how I mean, how is this um, business as usual, or how are you finding you know some of what you do, you know, change if at all because of the time that you have to do yeah. your thing now? I totally have a different relationship now with time. Like, my, my, my relationship with time is really shifting um, in ways, some ways that I can't articulate in some ways that I'm not fully able to yet. But I definitely think that um, 
I spend a lot more time doing now what I really, really, really desire to do. And if I don't feel very motivated by it or inspired by it in some way, then I just won't pick it up. So, you know, that means that some days I might just be like staring in space, sleeping, watching a lot of TV. Do you know what I mean? Like my productivity is really hinging now on my desire to be productive as opposed to like a deadline or I'm trying to get this done because of this or some external motivating factor, you know? Um, but time is just like, like, I don't, sometimes I'm like, what day is it? Yeah. <laughs> what day is it? You know, is it the weekend? Is it the weekday? Um, what's happening? Now, but again, I, I feel like for you, that, you know, in part because of your, your work is uh, so referential of the past, um, yeah. a constantly sourcing from the past with also this, you know, obviously like this incredible eye and, and headspace of the future. So I feel like time for you in general is an odd concept that isn't, you know, the time in your space, in your head, is not what it's like for probably the rest of us, I feel like. It's not. It's not. It's not. And I also live a, you know, I live a very unique life, too, right? you know, because when you are an artist or a working artist, um, you know, your, your relationship is already strange. You know what I'm saying? Like, your hours are going to be much longer sometimes than somebody who might be working nine to five or a regular traditional job. So, you know, already, you know, my, my relationship with time was already kind of skewed anyway. And then me being a night owl by nature, you know, that's t- that's starting to shift up a little bit surprisingly. Like, I'm actually becoming more of, like, a morning person, which I never thought that I would ever be, you know? Yeah. Well, but my productivity at night seems to be, like, null and void. I can, I can do things during the day that, mm-mm. But, yeah, my relationship with time has always been tripped out. Yeah, you know? well, why why is that? Because I, I want to go back and ask you about Dayton and how you how you came to Chicago and everything. But but yeah, why why is your relationship to time so different? And and why do you have that you know experience with it where it's it is a little tripped out? It is a little bit um, you know. I mean, certainly in my experience, different from anyone I've ever met. You know. Yeah, I don't necessarily think about time in the way I think a lot of people do. Like. I used to, but then it caused me so much stress, you know, to be thinking about like, these things should be accomplished by this, by this age. You should have all of this by this time, you know, whatever. But like, I, to be honest with you, Kevin, I think from the start, my my relationship with time was very much formed by my mother. When I was an infant, she told me she would keep me up at night because my father would be out kicking it. You know, they were young. And so she had to stay at home with me, bored, and she would keep me up. She would, you know, she she told me she would, like, bounce me. Like, be like like a little bouncy. Yeah. And be like, wake up, we gotta watch Johnny Carson. You know? Johnny Carson was on at, like, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, we know. You know, that was, like, Jimmy Fallon's show. You know what I mean? That was late night viewing. So I was up with her as an infant. You know what I mean? Like, so I think at that point, that just kind of tweaked my whole landscape in terms of like night. I mean, I mostly remember nighttime things and not daytime things either. Like memories of childhood. A lot of my memories are like the night. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What are so like my relationship to time was I think just formed from that. Like what's day, what's night, when are we productive, when are we not productive? I think all of that kind of became real slushy in my mind. And it's just kind of extended till now. 
you know, because yes. I never really liked to work nine to five jobs. I never really was all that good at like maintaining a traditional schedule. You know, that just caused me a lot of angst and like frustration <laughs> and anxiety. It's like, why are y'all doing this every day? Yeah. At the same time. Well, some of the some, some of the some of the mores of the West don't fit you. I feel like you dance above them, um, and uh, and I think your work is you know in real uh, tension with them. Um, and, and and I wonder like so so as a kid like what are some of your what are some of your your you know your, some of the memories you have uh, and you you write about your matrilineage. Um, it, but what are some of the memories you have of, of growing up in, in Dayton? Some of, I mean, some of them I know because they're some of my favorite poems um, about being young and a teenager in Dayton. Yeah. But, but yeah, when, when, do you, when do you start to chart, you know, kind of your interest in, in the arts even? Oh, very early, I think, because, you know, some of my earliest remem- memories around that, I was going to say be memories. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> Some of right? my earliest <laughs> memories around that is like, walking to the mall by myself, you know, because I'm the only child. So, you know, I remember walking to the mall, I remember going um, to the record store a lot. Record store and the movie theater. Those two places, the record store and the movie theater. You know, and I was pretty young doing that, you know, by myself. Like, my parents kind of gave me a long leash, and we lived in a pretty sleepy suburb. You know what I mean? So, you know, it wasn't common to just be walking upside the road or whatever to go to the mall. But I remember just also being in my head a lot, being in books and movies and TV a lot, um, because it was, you know, Midwest can be kind of sleepy, you know, especially Dayton, you know, mm-hmm. so there wasn't really a lot going on. So um, it was usually revolving around my family or like really solo, dolo time. My dogs, my mother's dogs were always around me. So I had, they were like my companions. And then my cousins would kind of come through and stuff, but for the most part, a lot of my, my memories around, like, art, being exposed to art, was, like, either in school when we had art class, or me going out to, like, open spaces, like, malls, or going on field trips to, like, the museum, you know, the artists to the date, you yeah. know? Yeah. At that point, things started getting really tweaky, but also, I think just my imagination was always real visual, you know what I mean? I was always, like, cooking up stories in my head that... Nobody knew I was doing like just real internal landscape type shit, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of that came from like my exposure to like music and visual culture. And what was yeah. it? What was in that stew? You know, because even the way you describe it, it makes sense that you became for me like mm-hmm. a, a collage artist, both visually and poetically. But like, yeah. yeah, what what was in that mix as a as a kid? I guess. Yeah, like um, fast times at Ridgemont High. Look, my, I convinced my mother to take me and my my little friend to go see that movie. We, she made us leave in the. We, it was like it wasn't even halfway in. She wasn't having it. Yes, go. yes, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Right, purple rain. Yes. Wow. Um, you know there was a big boo ha ha too around that because my mom's church was like, "Don't let these children go to see this movie because you know it's devil music." Mm-hmm. My mother was like, "Okay," and then she let me go anyway. Yeah. So that was a big brouhaha among the churchgoers. Um, let's see, what else? Star Wars. Um, there was this movie, I think it was called Caveman. I think about it a lot. It was like this dude, it was like 
a cave dude that got thawed and unthawed in like contemporary times and was alive. I don't remember, but I remember having a big impression on my imagination. Yeah. Like this idea that somebody could be like frozen in time mm. and then be woken up at a, you know, wake up at a later time and then be in this whole new reality and what that's like. Wow. You know, but for also too, like to me, that's an extension of like prison, like what it's like to be imprisoned or what is right. It's like you are frozen in time you know what i mean and so i think a lot of things like um what's some other movies that i was really into aliens i remember seeing that and i think i saw aliens by myself i think because i went to the movies by myself a lot um that's a scary ass movie to see by yourself period but when was, you're a kid i loved it yeah i loved it i thought it was like an, it was an action movie to me i was big on action movies too mm. You know, Lethal Weapon. I will. I watch Lethal Weapon probably the first one. I probably watch it at least once a month. I'm not even gonna lie <laughs> to that to this day. <laughs> to this day. <laughs> wow. Tubs and what's uh? No. No. Uh, Murtaugh. Oh. <laughs> okay. Murtaugh. <laughs> I forget. I, look, I, I, that's Danny Glover. But now, right now, why am I forgetting Mel Gibson's name? Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, yeah. That's so funny. All the time. I and, love it. And and music was was really uh, big for you, music and it continues big, to be. But yeah, big, big. I mean, that first happened. though, you know, my father's record collection. Right. You know, the men in my life, my uncles, my father, they had these beautiful record collections, and that's how I really became like this beat junkie, this head for, for music because they wouldn't be in there enjoying that, and I would just go into their dens or whatever, wherever they had their music, their records, and just play records all day. You know what I mean by myself? So, like my father, I think my father here, he had the Ohio Players, he had Heat Wave, he had a lot of this like seventies funk, Dayton seventies funk, you know. Like he had a lot of those albums. Um, trying to think of what else. I think I think Santana. I came up on Santana. I think from my uncle, um, and I just remember being captivated by those album covers, man. You know, then one of my first jobs was in the record store, Camelot Records. Mm, in the mall. Wow. My very first job was in a library. I was supposed to be shelving books, and what I was actually doing was reading them. Okay. <laughs> In the corners. Look, before they go back I would, on. I would shelve some of them, okay? But I was also hiding in the corners and reading. Mm. And then I decided I'm going to have a, another job at the mall. So that was the record store. That was Camelot. And then there, I was just like, then I was just soaking it all in. And then getting like promo albums, like getting first listens to stuff at the record store. That was like my thing. Yeah. You know? So that was like, um, I remember seeing It Takes a Nation of Millions there at Camelot Records the, for the first time. And I didn't understand what it was. You know, I was like, what is this exactly? But I was really into like LL Cool J. I was into Def Jam. Um, I was into what was coming out of Def Jam. I, I was definitely into the Beastie Boys. You know, I was definitely into like Fishbone and Beastie Boys was my first concert ever. I was 16 years Ooh. old. Yeah, at Hera Arena, which was I went home recently. Hera Arena because of the last tornado that just hit Dayton, maybe like not even, like earlier this year, last year or late last, year, took it out. So that arena no longer exists where I saw them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was I was brokenhearted when we rode past it. I was like, wow, it is decimated, you know. So like a lot of that, you know, a lot of where I come from now is like that too. It's all gone. It's it's like a wasteland in some ways. Dayton has changed a lot, you know, and a lot of that has to do with economics, right? Where the economics are going and all of that. But um, but yeah, the music was just always key. I was really into rock, you know, really into rock music. Um, Scritty Politti. Who else was I listening to? I was listening to everything. Everything I could get my hands on. Fleetwood Mac. That came, my love for Stevie Nicks, that, that kind of brought me into Fleetwood Mac. Mm. Um, so many. Yeah, you know, you're, I, heard, you're, I heard the first Lenny Kravitz album and a little promo. It was a white, we didn't even have an album white yet. White label, yeah. It was, it was a cassette. Oh, wow. And the woman who the woman who was the manager, one of the managers of the record store, she was like, "Do you want this? Because I cannot stand this. He sounds too much like the Beatles. I don't like it." I took that shit home. I was like, like "Bitch, let love rule, okay?" Because I don't know. I, you know, I'm sorry that this sounds like the Beatles to you, but I'm getting my fucking life right here. You know, that's where I was at with it. But yeah, I don't know. Like um, your palette is always so big; it it stays big. I mean, you you know you you seem to be um, a kind of uh, you know like you will you will get inspiration from from everywhere. You know, in in your 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 it seems like in your work it's it's a sponge in that way. It's reflective, but it's also making something completely new of the of the parts. Um, yes. do, you know, do you like when did you? Because I you know, not that. Not that you only do collage, but I feel like there is a base of your aesthetic that is rooted in the reassembly of and the reinterpretation of these bits. Like, when, when did that start to come into your, your practice? Like, how did you figure that out? Yeah, I think that kind of happened really organically and naturally. And it happened, it was more out of necessity because I just, I couldn't draw that well. I, I felt like I wasn't really good at like rendering something, you know. I just really didn't feel like I was the, the the traditional artist in the sense that I could paint a portrait of somebody or render that really gorgeously. So you know, the collage kind of happened. It had two. It had two lives. One of them was that it was my secret life that I was just making stuff when I had a writer's block. Um, and the other thing is, it was just me kind of like using what was around me to make what it is that I wanted. And I always loved magazines. So I was like, you know, always, they were always around on the stone vibe, you know, the source, you know what I'm saying? Like the first ones, I was like eating it up, you know? Um, 17 magazine. I had a lot of magazines around me. Um, Ebony's and Jets came in later, you know, but it was all teen, you know, all these little teen rags. So I was like really just like into taking those images in order to recreate what I thought was like reality, like a reality, you know, yeah. or like to chop it up a little bit and like, just, you know, put things next to each other that you wouldn't necessarily think should be next to each other. Um, and that's probably like, because of my own brain, like, you know, I always felt like people wanted me to stay in a box. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people want you to be like this kind of a person. Oh, you like this kind of music. You like this kind of... I'm like, I don't like to do that. I like everything. You can't pinpoint me. Right. That doesn't work for you. <laughs> that it doesn't work. It really so, don't. you know, to me, the collaging is probably just an extension of that. Like my imagination being very um, promiscuous in my interests, mm. you know, 
And so the, in the work, there's a kind of like a matching of things that one would not necessarily consider to be together, yeah. you know? But honestly, I just started making collages because I had a lot of magazines around me. Um, I like making pictures. Um, and I couldn't draw. Yeah, promiscuous in my interest is also a bar, by the way, which I'm not surprised. Um, you. you know, you stay stay dropping these bars. When when did writing come into the mix? You said it was uh, kind of when you had writer's block. When did writing come into the mix for you? Oh, early. Early. I think I still have, like, this novel that I tried to write when I was, like, 11 or 12. Yeah. I, it was hand, I was handwriting a novel. That's and it good. was about this girl gang. It was about it because I was obsessed with girl gangs. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, and some of that was like from reading like S.C. Hinton, reading The Outsiders, reading Rumblefish, reading, you know, um, what was the other one that was so cold that she wrote um, with character Eminem in it? But I have to, I have to go back to that. But I just was so intrigued by the romantic notion of gang culture as a kid, you know? So strange, you know? And I just was like, I'm going to write this novel about these girls dressing the gang together. Were you... Why Why do you think you had the fascination with gangs? Because of literature? Because of some of the... Literature, I think, has something to do with it. I think the fact that my mother was a social worker. Yeah. You know, at that time... So I grew up around um, a lot of different kinds of folks from a lot of different kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds. And I just understood the necessity, I think, of like having to form your own family. You know what I'm saying? Like whether those families become, you know, um, dysfunctional or violent in some you know, aspects of it. You know, I just kind of just naturally understood like that idea of an alternative family and what that looks like, you know? Yeah. Um, and my family was very alternative, too. You know what I mean? Like. My mother takes steals and just like it's the dude drop in. Please, everybody come over. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like right now, I had to tell her mom, "You can't have people over." I had to explain everything to her. You know, because it was just like the dude drop in. So it was always very, um, very open and lush. You know what I'm saying? With my mother's young people that she was helping, mm-hmm. and I saw a lot. And I learned a lot from them about the outside world, even though my world was quite insular, you know, and protected, you know, in a lot of ways. I was really one of the lucky ones, you know, because my mother, you know, grew up kind of rough. She always was working with young people who come from backgrounds like she did. You know what I mean? So I just saw a lot and I experienced a lot and I heard a lot, you know, and I was like, oh, I can process all this information. All of this kind of makes sense to me. And how do I make sense of these, this when some of this stuff people consider to be pathological or um, harmful to outside society, you know, whatever. Like, I was, I was grappling with these big ideas in my imagination, and I think that's why I was using the writing, you know, to work through, and the art too, right, to work through these complexities that everything wasn't black and white like people were trying to tell me it was. Everything wasn't like, you stay in this box and it's, it, everything's going to work out. I just never, even now, you know, when people are going through it really um, very intensely right now around just the economic instability of our current situation. Do you know what I mean? And also the political um, instability that we're facing at this time. See, I never believed in these systems. Do you know what I mean? Like I never, you know, I always was a, a little bit suspicious in the art. And I even, that's, that's in my writing. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the art. Yeah. Like me being suspicious of like systems and structures and 
institutions and all that. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, mm, but how are my people getting affected? How are the real people, regular people that I love, right? Where do we fit into this grand scheme? Yeah. Y'all talking about. Yeah. You right. know what I mean? Right. Because when I, I don't see no changes. I don't see these drastic changes unless it's like I see them on a small scale. Yes. Yeah. Right. I see them with one to one relationships, small communities of people, small collectives of artists and activists. I see change happening on that level, on a real ground cellular level. I don't understand what's happening up here up, up top. And I don't believe in trickle down. Right. Right. So it's like I use writing and art and I always have to kind of try to understand these nuances you know what i'm saying the people that fall through the cracks the 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 the, the stuff people nobody nobody wants to talk about you know a lot of my shit deals with that you know the stuff that i don't even really necessarily always want to be thinking about but i have to i feel compelled to write it and work it through and writing is one of the ways that i I do that you know and the art too yeah chop it up remix up well because you know i'm looking at all these images these white girls right when i was a kid they had a very detrimental effect on my mentality and on myself my self-esteem my self-worth i never saw myself you know what i mean or rarely did i saw myself in my family people around me but it was primarily white yes so i had to reconstruct that world and i used art to do that well is that is that part of what kind of the the you know, thesis of, of black futurism or Afrofuturism is it's in part because there is, you know, for many, for, for many folks in this society, like if you look ahead at the way society is going to play itself out, you know, from a top down perspective, from a white supremacist, the maintenance of white supremacy, there isn't a future for black folks in, in, and hasn't been in, you know, for maybe the history of whiteness. Um, it's the beginning of time. Unless right. you want to, unless you, unless you're a machine. Yes. You're a source of labor, a right. labor force. Then yeah. I mean, if you're gonna be a slave. <laughs> yeah. Well, until know. until you're rendered, until your body is rendered then obsolete, you know, perhaps. Completely. But but it's it, not even rendered human in, in many yes, cases, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like you know, at that point, all bets are off. So is, is that is that one of the the premises of 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 that? You know, kind you know that school of thinking is that it's the insistence. It's one like an unleashing of the radical imagination and the insistence uh, for for to, you know to be seen in in you know that yes we will be there too or yeah. or or and, and or yes the future actually will be different too yeah and that we envision it we create it yes. like we're the makers of that right you know I think you know for me. You know, this it's it's always a lot to do with the with the um Afrofuturist bent with me because, you know, it's so ubiquitous in all of my writings about my work. You know what I mean? But it's like definitely for me, my love of Afrofuturism came from my love of science fiction narratives, right? And I noticed very early on in reading and watching these science fiction films and science fiction narratives, I'll be like, Where are the black people at though? With black people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm looking with black people out. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, pretty radical, I think, in terms of like Star Wars, you know, with Lando. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, there's one black person. One black person. There you go. <laughs> I 
here? Where is he from? What right. planet? Yeah, where, where where's his home? Like where like where's like at? I do want to see that that show though. Like where is Lando's like neighborhood? Do you know what I mean? Where is people at? Where is he from? Where he from? You know what I mean? Where he from? You know what I'm saying? And why he's so slippery? Why he why he want to be try tricky like that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's kind of a trickster. So I liked it. Yeah. But you know that's not common though, right? In these sci-fi narratives. So you know I think. Definitely, there was a period of time where there was this, this great influx of of, layer of narratives that came in, mainly of written, right? That were dealing with techno culture, you know, black folks, the idea of black folks as as alien, with that you know that the metaphor of the alien, right? The metaphor of the alien abduction, right? The slave ships, the ships, the spaceships. You know what I mean? Like there was all of these um, metaphorical understandings that were happening that were futuristic based or what we consider to be like science fiction based and I think it's expanding you know our understanding of um, Afrofuturism is expanding but my relationship to it was always you know I'm just like a geek I like comic books and I like Marvel and I like you know what I'm saying I like you know supernatural things I used to man remember that movie Escape from Witch Mountain not the remake the original from the 70s (laughs) you know People was making things move with their minds. I was about it. I was like, how can I move matter with my thinking? Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe that's what all of this is about, me trying to figure out how to move matter with my thinking. You know what I mean? But like, I just was real obsessed with that shit. And I was like, well, where do black people at? Right. And where do we live? And how do we imagine ourselves um, whole, right? After so much terror denigration um discrimination right how do you render yourself whole after a past that's just kind of you know kind of trying to tear you apart you know so yeah it is about unleashing that radical imagination but it's also like just on a base level for me you know just me kind of grappling with um the past and the present and what does it mean to, to envision yourself in the future what does the future look like you know, flying, you know, cars and all that, you know, who, you know, you're going to have flying cars, you're not going to have cab drivers, cab, the cab, white people going to drive the cabs, Kevin? You know they're not. Okay. I mean, my dad will, but other than that, probably not too many. Yeah, your mama going to, because yeah. white people going to do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Your dad, damn, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, but, but other than, yeah, not, not, not too many other than him. Yeah. So... Well, so so one of the, one of the things, so you know, this leads me to because because some of this is in your latest book, um, yeah. Too much midnight, but but this is also like a reckoning, a a, a um, like a womanist uh, reckoning of your own experience of your yeah. own, you know, you in your own body, um, and you know, there's a lot else that's there yeah, i mean it, it, is, it, is, it is it is it is a yeah. it's also yeah. you know littered with with some of what this conversation has been about right. in terms of influences um from all these different places and it but it, but it's a place where you know you as a figure in the book are are pretty prominent too mm-hmm. um and so i yeah so I, i'm wondering you know th- this collection is it's it's weird to say because it's not it's by no means your first book no um but it, My first full length collection of poetry, though, yeah, right, and, which, and and also art, yeah, yeah, which which is weird, you know, because you know, there's there's you've you've produced so much 
in the world and, and the world has a lot of your work, but that it, this is the first time where I think people could read and see, you know, what you've done, um, in one place. So, so I guess, you know, what, what is this, what is this project, um, mean to you at this moment? And now that it's, it's brand new in the world, uh, what do you, what are some of the things that you hope people will, will take away from it? Oh God, you know, I, you know, I always have so, so much, I have so many conflicting emotions around every project that I do, you know, too much midnight is really to me. And you know, it's more like, um, a retrospective. I kind of think of it like, you know, yeah. strange, like yes. a weird little retrospective, right? I mean, not of a super long career, but, you know, it's like the greatest hits. You know, Avery called it like greatest hits. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and in that respect, I really love it and thinking about thinking about it in somewhat like a portfolio or like if you want to have an understanding of what my preoccupations are. You know, this book is a solid look at that, you know, um, the conflicts that I had, I think, with it. <laughs> I was reading it. I was reading from it in Florida at the beginning of the year before all this went down. And I was like, this is a dark ass book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fucking dark. I'm like, too much midnight indeed, ma'am. Mm. What have you just done? <laughs> and so it was weird to like, also, now that we're here right in this present moment with the quarantine, you know, with COVID-19 and all of these things that we're facing internationally, like this book to come out at this time, I don't know. I was real kind of conflicted about it. You know what I mean? It's like, so this is a, this is, this is not a fun, this is not fun you know, it's not fun times up in this book, you know? Um, thankfully, the artwork kind of gives you these moments of, like, breath, right, where you can breathe between the poems and, like, allow your imagination to expand, you know, beyond some of these, like, kind of constricted situations that I'm facing inside of the book but um, and dealing with the writing through. But, yeah, I think I feel good about it now after kind of grappling. I feel good about it being out in the world just in general. Um, I'm excited that, again, to have those two parts of my practice together in one space, you know, to see like, oh, yeah, I'm making work that's visual and I'm also making work that's that's written work. And it's by no means do I think of it as like perfect or complete or done like, you know, just the best shit I've ever done in my life. God, no. But I definitely am thinking about it like this is a good representation right a good encapsulating of what has been preoccupying my imagination over a span of time you know what i'm saying yeah um conceptually visually you know society you know society you know what i mean definitely i'm definitely woman focused in my writing my writing is very highly narrative i'm not you know, ashamed about that shit. It's not, you know what I'm saying? I write narrative poem. You know what I mean? That's what I do. Um, and most of them are kind of, you know, have a tendency to, to have a confessional aspect to them in some ways. But, uh, yeah, I feel very, I feel good about it. I feel strong about it. I feel like it's a very beautiful book. Like, I love just visually, like, just holding it in my hands is very pleasing to me. Um, and that means something to me because I think like books are like 
vessels, they're objects, they're like containers of things. And so to have an outside beautiful container and you open it up and then you get, you know, you have this plethora of experiences, right? These sensual experiences. I love it. I love it. So in that respect, I'm very excited. I'm very proud also to be on Haymarket. You know what I mean? That means something to me just in terms of the, the type of writing that they put into the world, the kind of projects that, that they see through into the world and birth into the world. Um, I'm glad to have my work aligned with that. That's a long, beautiful history. You know what I mean? Some heavy hitters, some political heavyweights published there. Yeah. You, know what I'm saying? you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, for me to have my work in that vein, in that tradition, because you know I'm big on being in a tradition, you know, in traditions. Um, I'm just real proud about it. You know, the the last question I, I wanna I wanna ask is um is is about lineage and you know you know you've you come from a lot of places but you've also now influenced you know so many artists, so many young artists. I mean you've influenced me, but but like you, you just you also have now influenced generations and so how do you think of yourself in terms of like being in a place where you're you know, interpreting your inheritance, but then also, you know, giving so much to generations who are following your lead in a lot of ways. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you reconcile that? How do you see yourself in, in a tradition or in, in a lineage? Oh, I try not to think about it at all. Yeah. Because <laughs> it makes me anxious. It makes me anxious. Um, I... I always think that I'm not the person to determine these kinds of things, right? Like, the, the the people who are after me, who might be influenced by my work in some way, which even saying that out loud sounds absolutely ridiculous to me. Like, <laughs> it sounds preposterous. It sounds crazy. That's why I, I, I never really reconciled myself at all with the idea that people were actually paying attention to me, I think, or my work in that way, that grand way. And then, you know, we all have our our ego, right? Our artist ego, we're like, why ain't nobody popping popping me up? Why ain't nobody talking about me? Why my shit ain't, you don't want fly? My shit's fly, it's flame. Why ain't nobody, you know what I'm saying? Yes. But then also there's a part of me who's, like, again, who's very reclusive, very kind of a little bit shy, you know what I'm saying? And not really wanting to be like, have, be focused on you know, so I have a very um, conflicted relationship with that, you know, and it's also because I'm working at the same time as sometimes people who may be inspired by or think about my work in a way um, that may be inspiring. There's your vet. Um, I get a little bit like territorial, too. Like, there are times where I'm like, are you having a I'm like, there are times where I'm like, are you biting my shit? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's happening here? Like, are you biting me? Or is this like my imagination? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's hard, right? Because it's also collage, which is so ubiquitous at this point. Um, and a lot of people don't see it as like a true art form. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I have all of these mixy, mixy feelings about um, my work influencing. Um, I'm still so, you know, my gaze is always still so turned to the past and looking at all the masters that came before me 
that it's hard for me to grapple with what's happening after me. But I try to be there in support of, despite my ego and my ridiculous, you know, obsessions about not wanting to be watched or looked at. Um, I try to hold space, I guess, is probably the best way to articulate it. And to be an advocate for creators who are coming up now. Because I know how hard it is. You know what I'm saying? I know how hard it is to find your own voice, to figure out your style, right? You know, I was talking about Bruce Lee, right? Thinking about his whole quote, like, to have your own style means to crystallize it, right? I'm always thinking about people like, you know, all the all the greats, you know, think about, like, graffiti artists, like, people who make their fucking name on the streets, you know what I'm saying? Like, I always kind of saw myself as, like, that underdog in that underdog culture, so it's hard for me to be like, people are actually looking at this work and thinking about it in these larger um, ideas. Sometimes it trips me out, to be honest. I don't think I, I will ever reconcile myself with it because I feel like maybe for me it's too tied up into um, like an egotistical mind state. Like people are watching me and I'm, I'm, I'm an influencer and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, um, please don't. I tell people all the time, please don't follow what I did. <laughs> I don't want you to. I don't. What you do? Like if you follow my route, mm-mm, mm-mm, no. But you know, I'm I'm always trying to think about how can I be the biggest advocate and the biggest space of love for those who are creators, poets, um, working through whatever it is they're working through in their art, in their production, in their practice, quote unquote. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I also be like, mm. You know, and I work with a lot of, you know, I work with a lot of artists, a lot of young artists. No, I mean, but as, a, a as an educator, as, as, a, as a mentor, um, I, you know, and I, I've, I've been firsthand to it, but I also, you're a professor, uh, you've mm-hmm. had a big impact. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I disagree with you a little bit, you know what I mean? That I, I, I've seen you be continually generous with your time for a long time now. And, yeah. and I know that you, you've, you put, you've put, the many on and you also put on for the many. So it's, you know, it's, uh, I, I think, I think you, you occupy a really important place and yes, there are, you know, a lot of people who have, you know, bitten the style, a lot of, a lot of, you know, you're, you are a source of where a whole lot of MCs got their style from, but you know, that is, <laughs> love it. you know, I, love it. I don't know if that's true, but I love it. I, think, I love the idea of it. I think it's facts. You know? I think it's facts. Um, I love it. Well, Krista Franklin, I, I love you and I, I love all the work that you do in the world. Uh, can you let can you let us know where we could find you on the on the Internet? Where could people be in tune? Yeah, at, at the real Krista Franklin, at the real Krista F. I'm sorry, at the real Krista F on Twitter and on Instagram. And then I have a page that's like a public page on Facebook. And I have a page on Facebook that's just for my personal peoples. And I don't always let everybody in there. So. If you try to friend me on there, I might be like, nope, but you can go ahead and like that other page. Right. Well, the new book yeah. is called Too Much Midnight. Make sure you cop that on Haymarket Books or support your local independent bookstore. Krista Franklin, thanks for being in the corner store. Thank you so much, Kevin. Y'all be safe. Shout out our super producer, DJ Cashera. Big up boss man, Todd Manley. Thank you to our official corner store photog, Mercedes Zapata. Salutes to the snack door, Max. Also, please, y'all, follow our 
Instagram. It's corner underscore pod on IG, on Twitter. Tell us who you want to see in the corner store. And also please consider dropping a couple of dollars into our Patreon account. It's patreon.com corner store underscore pod. The corner store is brought to you by Stolen Spirits.